If you want heaps good history, a little touch of mystery, with lots of hilarity, it's Adderall. Welcome to Adderall, the Heaps Good History podcast, where in every episode, I tell a story to my mate Tom. That's me. About South Australia's unique and often hilarious history. My name's Dan, and I'm a born and bred South Aussie, and my mate Tom here moved here in 2003, at the age of 15. That's right. As a very supple young man. <laughs> don't know why I, why I picked that word of all um, words. But how you doing, man? Yeah, kind of creeped out now. Well, yeah, you know, it's yeah. kind of my thing. Um, Not so, at all. so feedback, Dan, tell us, tell us about some feedback you well, got recently. Well, some people have said stop waffling on at the start, so I think we should just get straight um, into How this. about it's our podcast, we'll do what we want. I know, yeah. actually, that's, is that the way to retain an audience? Uh, probably not. Yeah, okay. We had our audience and everyone who listens, so yeah, exactly. that's where it is. What have, what have you been up to? Not much. Not much? Not much. Oh, cool. Because no. I haven't seen you for a few weeks. Yeah, I know. It's been, been a few weeks. We try to release enough episodes to cover us for the full month, and we, we kind of got there. We we did we had a pretty good run of weekly episodes. I think we got to like eight. Yeah. And we, we, we missed one, missed we missed one. one that's, week. That's pretty good. That's pretty um, good. But nobody mentioned anything, so like yeah. I can only assume that nobody is listening. Oh, well. For all of those who of you who are listening... Thank you very much. Beer of the episode. Beer of the got? episode is the Big Shed Brewery. It's the F Yeah. Oh, F Yeah. F Yeah. F Yeah, American Pale Ale. And I will give you the tasting notes very quickly. So American accent, it. please, Tom. Do it um, in an American accent. Go on. Our loving tribute to the craft beer staple, the American <laughs> Pale Ale. A base pale malt provides the foundation and ably supports the aromatic and biscuit malt. Yeehaw. Giving the beer its backbone. Hops are added at start of boil and again at the end, providing the citrus aroma, balancing a firm bitterness. This bad boy ain't no light beer and can be enjoyed at any time. Do we think you'll love it? Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Thank you very much, Big Shed. All right. Okay. Get, grab the bottle. Oh. Careful, mate. Oh, not on the couch. Maybe pause that episode <laughs> Well, now I hope the uh, beer smells good at least because it's all over my couch. And yeah, and, yeah, uh... we, uh, we just had to take a quick uh, pause <laughs> break there while uh, Dan just um, got the Febreze out and um, and also yeah. cleaned up his beer. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's, it's delicious. It's I like very it. nice. It's just uh, you know a little little bit heady. That's why it came flying out <laughs> yeah, of the... everywhere. Typical Americans. Mm. Anyway, mm. yeah, that's good. All right. Let's do Should it. We get into it? Yeah, go on then. We'll, All get, right. we'll only get in trouble if we don't. <laughs> Tom, this is the Adelol of Hubert Wilkins. Okay, no idea who that is. No idea. See, no. I thought you would have some sort of idea. No. Um, because well, you'll get to see. Look, this is um, this is a huge write-up. So there's a lot to get through. Okay. Um, longer than my write-up for David Hicks, and that went for nearly Whoa. an hour. So yeah, it's massive. Um, is Wilkins on on par with David Hicks, just for kind of being a loose character? <laughs> Not really. Not a a lot less terrorism. Okay. A lot okay. less. But still, look, so much about him is such a great South Australian, and I feel, after I finish writing this up, I'm like... I'm really not doing him justice of how great of a person he is because I'm just cherry picking the things that are hilarious or controversial. That's fine. That's fine. But um, yeah, just a, a really great guy. But that's what this podcast is about. We tell you the funny bits. So then if you want, you can go learn more. Yeah, exactly. And we cherry pick purely so I, I, like, I can do accents <laughs> and crack jokes. It's not like, we're not actually interested in telling an accurate story. Do not. No, none of this is accurate or, or facts. So just um, roll with us. None, of, you, none, of, this <laughs> none of this is fact. None of what's in this history podcast is factual. <laughs> Hubert Wilkins allegedly was born 31st of October, 1888. 
Like, oh, 1888. Yeah, okay. so we're back in the 1800s. So okay. you know how th- from our podcast, you know how things are. Though. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's kicking off. He was born in Mount Bryan, South Australia. Mount Bryan accent, please, Dom. Um, so hang on. Don't even know um, No. Um, Neither did I. So s- s- Mount Bryan. Mount Bryan, 177 kilometers north of Adelaide. <clears throat> I've never heard of Mount Bryan. Is it still called Mount Bryan? It is or is still it called like, Mount you know, Bryan. like, like yeah. Handel for the change of name? Shout out to the Mount Bryan listeners out there. All right. All right. Um, and he Hope grew- you're having a good time. He grew up in Hallett. Do you know where Hallett is? Hallett Cove. Not Hallett Cove. Hallett. It's um like a small town. Next to Hallett Cove. Not even close. He was the last of 13 children in a family of pioneer settlers and sheep farmers. All named Dan. <laughs> all named Dan. <laughs> or or all Tom. T- all 12 of the kids dead. He was, the, he was the last one. <laughs> Don't right? spoil it. Life was very hard in the South Aussie out back in the 1800. Which we found out. As most of his siblings had died before he was it. born. Yeah, I knew it. You knew it. It's just going it to happen. He gained a lot of practical experience growing up and working with his dad on the sheep farm. And he always hunted with the local Aboriginal people whenever he could. Which there were, and I'm assuming there were, there were many news uh, um, articles about, um, about his interactions with the local Aboriginal people. Couldn't tell you. He was a super smart kid, though. That's what uh, struck a lot of people from the beginning. He was educated at home. And see, those two things don't usually no. <laughs> go hand in hand, no. smart and educated at Absolutely home. Absolutely not. Yeah, it's usually like uh, I was educated <laughs> at home and uh, I think that um, the world is actually a snow globe. <laughs> it's not, is it? No. I went to Mobbery High, so it's not that much better <laughs> than the home yeah, education. Yeah. So, so the, like, the, only, the only benefit of uh, of, you know homeschooling your kids is that you get more one-on-one time with them okay but the the real negative is um you're not you know most people that do it aren't qualified teachers yeah and um, it's the social side any home and they end up with make... no social skills yeah, yeah they yeah. just end i mean this is we're making a huge sweeping statement but oh, i yeah. never met a homeschool kid that wasn't a fucking weirdo actually a couple of my cousins were homeschooled and most of them were all right nah. but their mum has like an education background so yeah why were they homeschooled though don't know just not I, I actually don't know. Couldn't tell you. I'm not okay with it. All right. Shout out to my cousins. <laughs> <laughs> they don't listen. Um, They're not allowed to. One <laughs> of the strict rules of homeschool. <laughs> no, no podcast and no, no socialising. Yeah, no radio or radio-like <laughs> products. It's a, about podcasts, it's a loophole. Uh, but this local school teacher lived with his family, so that's why he was homeschooled. Oh, okay. And by the age of nine, he'd passed exams qualifying him. Uh, the local... The local school teacher lived with his family. He wasn't actually homeschooled. This is my theory. Okay. The local, the local school teacher lived with his family because his house was the school and he was the only student More because all like the it. other kids in the in the village had died. Dead, yes. Yeah. Wow, you've made it to nine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at the age of nine, he passed exams qualifying him for high school. So I don't know whether he was smart or back in the 1800s. It like, was really easy to get into like, high school. It was like, you have two sheep. How many sheep do you have? <laughs> That's the question. Maybe it's because because uh, nobody knows where the fuck Hallett is. It was just all bonus points. It's like Sace. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like he's, he actually wasn't that smart. But they were like, well, seeing as you're so remote and everyone else and every other kid in your village is dead, um, we're going to give you some bonus points. And you know, and a teacher that's just going to be one on one time with you the whole the whole shebang. Awesome, awesome. Uh, but at this age, he was also managing his own plot of land, horses, cattle, and hundreds of sheep. At the age of nine, that's insane. Like, I, my kids aren't, one of my kids isn't too far from nine. She can't manage a plot of land. No, growth, growth mindset, Dan. That's it. But if look, you believe, you can achieve. A love for everything outdoors developed his adventurous nature. Go on. Hubert Wilkins. 
Uh, there's one more paragraph before it really kicks off, but um, you'll, you, you'll, you'll know when it kicks off. Okay. As a teenager, he moved to Adelaide to study engineering at the School of Mines. School of Mimes. Mimes, yes, we've covered this before. So it's people pretending t- to... Climb ropes. Climb ropes. Yep. Look over look over imaginary walls. That's it. Yep. Glass, uh, paint a glass. Slide down s- steps. That's it. Um but it was in Adelaide he saw his first beret. his first cinematic film in 1905. <laughs> Hubert instantly... <laughs> what, what? Kind of, what kind of cinematic film? <laughs> it, was a, it was a good one. Because he instantly became obsessed with photography and cinema. He immediately abandoned his engineering studies and found, <laughs> found work with a travelling cinema in Sydney. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so mum, dad, giving up the engineering, uh, going in the travelling cinema trade. Yeah. Travelling pornographer. I mean, oh. uh, cinematographer. Cinematographer. Um, he was so good at his work, he eventually moved to England where he became a pioneering aerial photographer whilst working for Garmont Studios. His photographic skill... That, that was a studio that just... They would just take photos of garments. <laughs> I don't even know what... Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mm. yeah. He, um, His photographic skill very quickly took him all over the world. Uh, I won't list it all, but Algeria, the US, Ireland. He filmed battles in Turkey. Um, and in early 1913, he went to Trinidad to make a film about Coco for Cadbury. He had just completed that assignment. Coco was... Uh, is, is the main ingredient in chocolate. It wasn't... It wasn't... There wasn't like a... Like a, you know, a person there called Coco. <laughs> no, not at all. Well, maybe. He wasn't a clown. He wasn't a clown. <laughs> He's like, I've got to go to Algeria to, uh, to uh, make a movie about this clown Look, this, named Coco. We've got a lot of investors in this new company. Oh, here he comes in his little car. Oh, there's six of him. Um, he had just completed that assignment when he got word from his London office that he was now going to undertake an important Canadian Arctic exhibition. This is where it kicks off. Okay, awesome. The now very controversial Arctic expedition was the dream of, now pardon my pronunciation here, Vigalmore Stephenson. So we're just going to refer to him as Stephenson from here yep, on in. Yeah, sure. Yeah, Mr. Stephenson. A Canadian explorer who had somehow convinced the Prime Minister to fully fund this expedition. Hey, uh, Prime Minister, hey, we, uh, we're going to go and uh, work in the snowy. I'll give you some money, buddy. Uh, okay. <laughs> Um, we're going to walk slow because we like to go slow in Canada. Eh? Stephenson quickly, well, no, he didn't work slow. He quickly put together a crew of literally anyone he could find or whoever was the cheapest he could get. This guy in a clown suit seems pretty keen. <laughs> this, co- this Coco guy is pretty keen to, to, to go exploring. As it seemed, he wanted to keep as much of the funds to himself as possible. Ah, the old, I'll do it on the cheap and pocket the rest. Yeah, that's, yeah. That, that's essentially how... Um, Government works. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. To, any kind of, um, anything that, that requires you to go in for tender, it's um, the person yeah. that gets it's the one that does it the cheapest and, that's and right. pockets the rest. But, however, he wanted the a top-notch photographer. Just not for historical record of the trip... But Stephenson had planned to use the pictures and footage to write books for his own fame and fortune. Okay. So he is pretty smart, this guy. He, he is a very smart man. He's a swindler. So, Wilkins arri- Hubert Wilkins arrives in Victoria, Canada. The first crew member he meets is the crew surgeon, Dr. Alastair McKay, a gruff individual who loved his whiskey. <laughs> That's what you want in a surgeon. <laughs> <laughs> is he Canadian? This Alison McKay guy? I couldn't tell you. Okay, but, uh, uh, but if you're gonna, if you're gonna, if you like, we're going somewhere extremely <laughs> cold. We may get frostbite. What we want is a surgeon 
um, who who is just drunk. You don't you don't want to you you don't want to go with shakes. You want a steady hand. That's right. You've got to feed right. him up with a, a lot of um a lot of big shed brewing. That's that's right. He you know, it's one of the back in the day before they had uh, decent painkillers, and you know he he's got to amputate your frostbitten <laughs> leg, and he's just like one for you, one for me. <laughs> The very first thing the doctor did was ask Wilkins to buy him a drink. And, and then slice off his hand. Hubert was not impressed. The doctor then takes Hubert Wilkins to the dock to show him the ship that they'll be taking into the and Arctic. So the, the dock takes him to the dock. Ah, I didn't even pick that up. Well done. The dock dock, wearing Doc Martens. Yeah. The and, dock um, in docks took him to the dock. And also though he was walking a dog. Ah, the dog walking a dock. Wearing, the dog walking a dog. dog wearing docks. Wearing well, docks to the dock. To dock. Um, he was also supportive of the Fremantle Dockers, the uh, football team. Yeah, yeah. And they also, they also they did a bit of docking. Right there, Dan. <laughs> I knew it was going to come. <laughs> and that's what he said after the yeah, docking. Yeah, I knew, yeah. I knew it was going to come when we did a bit of docking whilst walking on the dock with so my dog. He takes and, him. And uh, wearing my, my Dockers jersey. He takes him to, the, to and show him the Martins. ship. And the ship is absolutely fucked. Hubert is not impressed at all. The Carlick, as the ship was called, was an old, unpainted, way too small ship that reeked of whale oil. And whiskey. And whiskey. That was just the doctor. And it was infested with cockroaches. It Which was, is what you want in a... <laughs> it was it's something you're going to take into the Arctic. Yeah. That's what you want. It doesn't get any better. Stephenson purchased it at the bargain price for $10,000. And it was going to be the ship that... Which back then was like at least $12,000. Yeah, at least. Uh, it was going to be the t- ship that took them into the Arctic, even though Stephenson himself doubted how long it would hold up uh, for prolonged Arctic service. Why? I, he's a tight ass. Okay, so he's like, we'll cut corners yeah. and save money. <laughs> We'll possibly die, but based on like oh, my based, ba- based on my uh, my limit my my poor quality uh, home school education, uh, I can only assume that um, like all the kids in my uh, in, in my village, everyone else dies and I'll live on. So it had not been built for such a purpose. It severely lacks the engine power to force a passage through any sort of ice. Okay. Don't know if you know much about the Arctic. Yeah, you you, you need to be able to crack. You need to. <laughs> you, you need with, that. You need, your boat needs to be able to crack through the ice, right? That's kind of how it works. Yeah, the initial captain of the voyage, who was very experienced with Arctic expeditions, saw the ship. This is not going to work. Saw the it, ship, yeah. just instantly bailed. He's like, "Nah, find someone else." <laughs> so that again, again, that's <laughs> not a good, good sign. sign. You, so, like, I just feel like the, the doctor that he's got is just drunk. Like, like That's it. He, he's a, he's probably a, he was at some point a cable surgeon, but now he's just off his face. So he doesn't realise that this is like a really bad idea. <laughs> he's like, look, um, it's it's not even moving on the water. No. Yeah, a, someone who's not drunk comes along and goes, <laughs> "Nah, I'm bailing." And um, he's just like ploughing ahead based on the fact that he's a massive cheapskate trying to save a few dollars. So yeah, then Stephenson had to quickly find another cheap captain who ended up being Captain R. Just Bartlett. some guy at the dock. Captain R. Bartlett. Hang on, Captain Arj Barker. Arjy Bargy, R. Bartlett, who had no experience whatsoever had never in been, the Western had, Arctic. Had, ne- had never been on a boat previously. <laughs> He's not a captain. Not a real captain. It's like He's captain like, uh, excuse me, I've got a hat that says, <laughs> he like, bought one of those hats from like National Geographic that says, like, you know, captain. And he's like, I've got this hat right here. It's got an anchor on it. <laughs> I'm your man. <laughs> Put me on. Put me on the Carlick. 
So because the ship was way too small for their supplies, they had to buy a second ship. So already, it's like, why okay. didn't you just buy one yeah. good ship to begin yeah, with? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's like it's like when they had that thing in the um, in the news like a few months ago where it was like um, Kmart released some uh, vacuum cleaner, which is like a fake Dyson. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it's like $90 or whatever. And it's like, it's more powerful than a Dyson. Mm. Um, but it's, you know, it's Kmart. So like all these people went out and bought it. And apparently it is like a really good vacuum cleaner, but it's, yep. it's, it's like, you know, it's from Kmart. Yeah. So it breaks. And then, like, they're like, oh, it doesn't matter, you know, like, you got to buy a new one every six months, but um, yeah. you know, it doesn't matter. And it's like, yeah, but over the course of, like, five years, <laughs> you could have just bought a Dyson, That's and exactly it wouldn't have broken. Right. That's exactly right. No. So, anyway, he's bought the second ship, the Alaska, was purchased... So- a, better, a better name. Sounds like... It sounds like a... It sounds Arctic. It sounds, it sounds Arctic, yeah. It sounds, sounds like a kind Arctic. of ship that would actually survive. But Stephenson purchased it sight unseen. So, he's just like... Okay. <laughs> So when he, when he gets ship. it, it's actually it's actually just a model ship in a bottle. <laughs> Got it on eBay. He's like, look, they they oh, didn't oh, oh, specify. On, says here, not to scale. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't specify in the description. So Wilkins then met the rest of the crew once again. He they were ants. He was <laughs> <laughs> once again. He was not impressed. It wasn't to scale. And uh, it, it, so it was to scale. It turns out it was just a really tiny uh, ship in a bottle and the crew were just ants with just like little, with just like little sailor hats on. He's like, I didn't even bring my fucking macro lens. This is going to be like, hard to photograph. Yeah, he's like, These ants are not going to get along with the cockroaches. <laughs> the crew were a motley group of misfits with little to no experience with Arctic expeditions. Really, really good at lifting things though. Could lift like six, six times their, 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 their body yeah. weight. Didn't need many supplies, so you know that second, yeah, that yeah. second ship was pretty just good. Just like a little, just a drop of honey would keep him going for a week. So Carlick left uh, Esquimalt on the seventeenth of June, nineteen thirteen, sailing towards Alaska. Surprisingly, there was trouble from the beginning with the steering, gears, and engines of the ship, uh, which needed frequent attention. At the first destination, six days later in Nome. Some of the crew pressed for a meeting with uh, Stephenson to clarify plans and just to complain about how shit everything Basically, else. that means they, 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 they asked for a meeting where they were like, we're not actually going <laughs> to go to the Arctic, right? Like this, we thought this was a joke. Look, here's the thing. We know you're just in it for the money. You pocket the money and let us go. Yeah. And that way it's not going to take us fucking we'll two take years. You to, we'll take you to a bit of Alaska where you can just take some photos of some snow. Yeah. Because it, like, it's snow. Like, it's who, snow. No one's going to know. Let's go to northern um, Canada. Yeah. And uh, we'll take you to northern Canada. You can take some photos of some snow. You can. We'll go back. We'll, we'll all say we went to the Arctic. None of us all, you know, we're not going to W in. And um, you get your photos. We get paid. You get paid. And uh, none of us has to That would have been die. an excellent idea. Um, apparently he's the, like, no, we're not doing that. We're, we're pushing ahead. We're pushing ahead with the original idea. Um, if you ants can't like get your uh, get your shit together, then uh, you know I'll get someone who can. So apparently the meeting was extremely heated between Stephenson and the crew. Stephenson's attitude offended several of the men, some of whom threatened to leave the expedition. Stephenson had apparently said that he expected the Karlik to be crushed. And that the lives of the staff were secondary to the um, scientific work. He was talking about the. Um, he was talking to the chef then at that point, though, wasn't he? The garlic. Yeah, he expected the garlic to be crushed. No, no, no. Oh, the garlic. The garlic. Oh, sorry. Very yeah. good though. Very yeah, yeah, yeah. Great ar- aromatics. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, 
so he said, no, your lives are secondary to the work we're doing here. So they're all <laughs> fucked off. So he's not on a good start with the crew. It's a great like, way to treat like, your crew. Yep, this ship is going to be crushed. Um, I don't care about you guys because uh, I got you as cheap as possible. Um, you, you've taken all the, all my picnic supplies away, all the crumbs of my, my, my bread. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's there's um, basically uh, the boat's going to get crushed and you're going to get crushed as well, like ants. Apparently, Stephenson had said that he expected the Karlik to be crushed and that the lives of the staff were secondary to the scientific work. Stephenson would not explain these matters nor give further details of his plans. Why should he? <laughs> Look, here's the thing. I don't give a shit about your life. I don't give a shit about you. I don't care if you die. I don't care if this the boat, boat gets crushed. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. And you know what? You want an explanation? You're not getting one. Despite the crew's extreme... Me, I'd like to see you try. And he just like locks himself in. He's like, good day, sir. He just like locks himself in a room. I'm off to starboard. <laughs> Despite the crew's alarm and dissatisfaction. I'm off to have a whiskey with the doctor. Good day, sir. None of them resigned. I said good day. Over the next weeks, they did some exploring. Uh, picked up some dogs for the ship. Uh, a couple of random people along the way. And two random Inuits, only known as Jimmy and Jerry, joined the crew. I, I hear, from what I heard, though, uh, Jimmy and Jerry were actually pretty in, into it. Ah, very pretty, good. They were, they were pretty into it. That's in, very in. good. On the 13th of August, the ship became stuck in the ice, surprisingly. Mm-hmm. And Stephenson... didn't have working engines, operated by ants. <laughs> or could get and through And he told the crew to go fuck themselves. <laughs> They're like, well, we're not going to make it work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So Maybe that was their plan. They're just like, we won't try, and then he'll have to take us back. Yeah. I think that could have been the plan. So anyway, um, they became stuck in the ice, and Stephenson, possibly just calling their bluff, was just like, yeah, we're not going to make any more progress this year. We'll just spend it on the ice. We'll just chill here. <laughs> just <laughs> On the 19th of September, with Carlick icebound and stationary, Stephenson announced that in view of the shortage of fresh meat and likelihood of a long time on the ice, he was going to lead a small hunting party which would search for game uh, just around where Surely it'd be better to just drill a hole in the ice and catch a fish. Nah, mate, nah. Stephenson knows where it's at. Oh, okay. Drilling's too expensive. They, could, they couldn't. They didn't <laughs> they we, don't, we don't have the equipment for that. I, I could have bought uh, a fishing rod, but uh, not going to lie. Um, not it, much storage. It was at least $2. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, you know what? We already had the golf clubs in the storage, so I didn't. Want yeah. to bring, I didn't know what I was going to be doing on this holiday, and I needed that money for uh, for whiskey. Otherwise, the doctor was like another crate of whiskey. Otherwise, the doctor wasn't going to come along. By the way, this cruise is shit. Um, when's the band coming on? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know what? Next time, uh, I'm probably going to go with P and O. Probably. So he and Stephenson announced he would take the two Inuits, Jimmy and Jerry, along with Bert McConnell, uh, an anthropologist, and our favourite South Australian, George Wilkins. Excellent. Stephenson says to the crew, look, I'll be, we'll be gone for about 10 days. Um, so uh, they get off the ship and straight away Stephenson's like, yeah, we're not going back for these assholes. <laughs> <laughs> They're done. <laughs> so three days later, the ice which the Karlik was trapped on began to move. And so they were just drifting away from Stephenson's party who were out not far just exploring. Makes sense. And so it soon became clear that they would not be able to find their way back. And also, once those, once the, once the ship breaks free, they're just going to be like, "Well, well, turn the boat around, and go home." Yeah, they're not going to be like, "Oh, let's wait for the guy let's who, wait, let's who wait wants for the us ice, dead. Yeah. Let's wait for the ice to reconnect so we can like make sure that this guy's okay." Eh, probably not. <laughs> Jimmy and Jerry don't give a fuck about us. Come no. on, let's get back home. <laughs> When's the magician on? Yeah. 
So the ship drifts away and is just drifting Get aimlessly. Get that clown in. <laughs> <just> Where's Coco? <laughs> it's just drifting aimlessly for months. Until January 1914, when a loud bang was heard in the engine room. <laughs> what? Not a good sign. How long was it drifting around It for? was just drifting aimlessly f- from September till January. And, who, and they were just on the boat? Just yeah, they kill- were just on the boat, stuck in a big block of ice. And just like, well, we're just going where the ice is take us because our ship's a piece of shit. But and what, what would they eat? I'm guessing at this point they were, they were actually just like fishing and trying yeah, to get food. Yeah, they, they, they wouldn't have survived they otherwise. That's yeah. right. So... Uh, Bartlett rushed down and observed water gushing from from a three not meter, a good sign from a three meter long gash. <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> wish I wish I had my engineering degree now. <laughs> this wish is Bartlett. This isn't uh, so Wilkins is off the boat. Yeah, yeah So yeah. the guy who this story is about is actually off the boat. Okay, okay. So I'm good, just telling. I'm just wrapping up the ship story. Really okay, quickly. okay. If okay. anyone's looking to it, it's well, an, I wish you, I wish I had the guy with you know half an engineering degree now. <laughs> He would have taken a brilliant photo of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look at that light. You're not going to see that light anywhere else. Yeah, I've never seen an ant do that. <laughs> uh, so uh, Butler gave order to abandon ship. So the party was now just stranded on ice. 22 men, one woman. At least they got a party. Isn't it just? 22 men, one wom- woman, two yeah. children. There's a woman? Yeah, uh, they were just picking up random people. I think it was like a random Eskimo From woman. where? Uh, just as they went along, like leading up to this point. <laughs> Just like hello, <laughs> you want to come on the cruise? I've I've also been, I've, you know, I I came out here on a similar expedition about four years ago, and I've been, just been floating around on an ice block since then. But yeah, more than happy to join your crew. Um, <laughs> who's running the thing? Stephenson, but he's gone now. Now it's a party ship. Okay, um, masquerade ball at the, at the bottom deck tonight. All these whiskey bottles are empty. Oh, that's the uh, doctor. That's the doctor's <laughs> oh, okay. medicine. The doctor um, needs his medicine. And also, like, I don't want to get all Noah's Ark, but um, how do you stop? How do you keep the uh, the ants separated from the cockroaches? Oh, that's uh, that's uh, for the doctor. Oh, know. okay, that is right. Um, plus sixteen dogs and a cat. So they're like, well, let's build igloos and ration the supplies that we. Oh have yeah, got. yeah. Makes um, sense. Makes anyway, sense. it's a really long story. It's a really interesting story, but it has nothing to do with Wilkins, who is uh, aside from this crew at the moment. So they try to find a way back to land. Um, Eleven of them died. So at this point, they're they've all, they're off the boat, but they're on like a little landmass, and the boat's been separated on a block of ice that's floated away. Yeah, and but they're still on the main bit of frozen, bit, just a big block of ice is what okay. they're on. Um, eventually, they they build igloos and, and ration supplies. As you do. Um, so what started out with what twenty four of them, um, eleven of them died. Uh, they were eventually rescued by like a shipping boat, uh, fishing. The ones boat that are dead, they were all called Anne's. So. <laughs> And ants. But Wilkins, so Wilkins, who the story's about, is now just hanging out with Stephenson in the Arctic. They really don't like each other. Um, And they return for what was meant to be 10 days, uh, almost a year later. Have they run out of whiskey at this point? Probably. Okay. That's where the business is coming from. They return a year later and they're like, oh, the ship's not here that we were meant to come back to a year ago. They finally figured out where the ship was supposed to be. So they're like, well, the supply ship's still here. Let's just take that that piece of shit um, one he bought on eBay. <laughs> yep. Just get the uh, Mortine out and spray it first. Yeah. <laughs> just make sure you get the little adapter and spray underneath. <laughs> oh, you need that. The yeah. little yeah, the little, little straw. In nineteen, so that was his Canadian expedition. Um, like I said, sounds he's like a resounding success. <laughs> In nineteen seventeen, Wilkins returned to Australia, joining the Australian Flying Corps. And in 1918, was appointed as the official war photographer. 
So in June 1918, Wilkins was awarded the Military Cross for his... And this is the First World War. He's like, I got first a lot of experience with absolute <laughs> clusterfucks. So um, I, think, I, think I, can make, I, I think I can make a pretty good career out of uh, being a, a war photographer. And he does. Um, he was awarded the Military Cross for his efforts of the rescue of wounded soldiers in the Third Battle of somewhere. Uh, he remains the only Australian official photographer from any war to have received a combat medal. Okay. The following month, Wilkins was promoted to captain and... Captain of photography. Captain of the, the garlic <laughs> the yep. ship. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's where they found okay. him. Okay, got it. Yep. Captain and became a, uh, the commanding officer of the uh, photographic section for the war records unit. Okay. However, unfortunately due to his modest nature, many iconic World War One photos have been attributed to or even claimed by another war pro- uh, photographer... The ever self-promoting Frank Hurley. So classic <laughs> so he's Hurley. Just like, yeah, I took that one. Oh, that's really nice. Yeah, I, I, I took that one. Oh, that was me. That was me. Yeah. yeah and yeah. Wilkins was too modest. Uh, to let me. That. Let me. Can I have? Uh, yeah, yeah. That 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 one's mine. That, that one's mine. mine. For example, the famous photograph of dazed Australian yeah, no, sol- that's mine. <laughs> soldiers. That was me walking through the Chateau Wood. Yeah, beautiful photo. I remember taking it. it was mine. Always has always been credited to Hurley. When in fact Hurley's own diary reveals that he was nowhere near Chateau Woods that uh, day. <laughs> but what? Uh, what do you believe? A, a diary or a photograph? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I took that one. <laughs> look, I um, uh, look, I hadn't had the chance to get it into Photoshop to put my watermark on it, but Photogra- I was yeah. going to. Photographs don't lie. Yeah, I couldn't access a, a, a Creative Suite um, in Turkey. Uh, internet was a little slow, mm. uh, but I was going to do the watermark, put a sick filter on it. Um, hashtag war. Hashtag yep. uh, Aussie Oi. Hashtag yep. Love Our Troops. Yep. Emoji gun. Big time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Wilkins fr- frequently led him, his work frequently led him into the thick of fighting. And during the Battle of the Hindenburg Line, he assumed the command of a group of American soldiers who had lost their officers in an earlier attack. So they're like, ah, oh, we've got no officers. Wilkins, just the photographer, steps in. He's like, all right, you can't... St- <laughs> all right, you Americans, listen to me. This is what we're doing now. I've got an officer's cap on, so you'll do what I, you do what I say. <laughs> yeah, and he um, he directed them until support arrived. He was subsequently... So now you stand over here <laughs> and... Don't touch anything. Say cheese. <laughs> just put your... Just make make it look natural. Put your arm around him and make it look natural. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, okay. Um, now just, just say something funny to each other. I'll take a photo of that. Yeah, yeah. And um, what, I, what I need you to do is... Um, uh, I want you to I want you to look, but just look sort of past the camera. And when you're thrusting with the bayonet, um, and uh, and the Germans coming at you, I just I just I just want you to imagine. Um, I want you to imagine the color the color green. That's what I'm going for. Okay. Um, it's uh, I'm going to try some high contrast filters. Okay. And if that doesn't work out, we'll uh, we'll go we'll go in a different yep. direction. Yep. Face the other way from the light. Um, I'm. It's just going to take me 20 minutes to change this light bulb. Um, just watch the bullets coming in from over uh, yeah. my head and yeah. uh, you'll be fine. Yeah. Um, because of this, Wilkins was subsequently awarded a bar to his military cross in 1990. Actually, that actually should have been mine. I took that. No, it was Hurley's, actually. I, yeah, it should have been Hurley's. Uh, he took that <laughs> Even first. a selfie of Wilkins. Hurley's like, yeah, that's, that's me, yeah, that's, that's, that's me. me. I took that. Well, who, well he, if he's in the photo, how could he have taken the photo? So Hashtag oh, Frank must, Hurley. Must have been me. Um on 15 April 1928, only one year after Charles Lindbergh's flight across the Atlantic, Wilkins and, can't pronounce the name, uh, Ilson made a transatlantic crossing from Port Barrow, Alaska to 
Pittsburgh. It was actually Hurley. It was actually me. Um, <laughs> Frank Hurley. Uh, Frank Hurley. I actually. Uh, this I is the story that. of Frank Hurley. Uh, is it? Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna look him up. I was. I was the uh, the guy that, uh, that 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 flew that plane. Actually, uh, I hope Hurley's from South Australia. Oh yeah, big time, big time. Because we all know the best South Australians love stealing some content. That's oh, how it goes. <laughs> uh, arriving about twenty hours later on sixteen of uh, April, touching down uh, Ellesmere Island. For this feat and prior work, Wilkins was knighted, and during the celebration, that's actually York- that's uh, excuse me, uh, Your Highness. <laughs> excuse me, um, that's uh, uh, yeah, that's old Frankie boy here. That's uh, that's my that's my knighthood. Um, during the celebrations, sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll take that. Thank he you. met an Australian actress, Suzanne Bennett. I say, that's actually my wife. <laughs> he um, later married Suzanne Hurley. Um, I now pronounce you husband and Frank. In 1930, Wilkins and his wife, Suzanne, were vacationing with a very wealthy friend and colleague, Lincoln Ellsworth. During this outing, Wilkins and Ellsworth hammered out plans for a transatlantic expedition involving a submarine. Okay. This had never been done before. Oh, okay. 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 So they're like, look, I know you went well, to the Arctic. experience. <laughs> How do you like being cold, Wilkins? I, I loads of experience on seafaring vessels and from, from, the, from the limited experience that I've had... Um, I believe the key to success is you just cut costs anywhere you can. So Wilkins goes off to find a cheap submarine. Oh, of course he does. <laughs> this is where it kicks off. So also, just going back a bit, he was on holiday with his wife and a mate. They were just drunk and be like, you know what? Let's just, let's oh, just go yeah. to the Arctic on a submarine. Oh, hey, mate, I've, fucking, I've been to war. I took fucking pictures. I took pictures that some other blokes claiming, <laughs> but I'll tell you what, man, I... I haven't told you about Hurley. Have I told you about my my mate, the doctor? <laughs> he, mate, you get a couple of whiskeys in him and he'll tell you, mate, he, he'll be like, bro, I could... He's I, a sick man with a scalpel. I could ease, I could go, I could cross the channel in a submarine. <laughs> so, he I goes... Could cross, I could cross the Atlantic in a submarine. Not learning from experience, he goes off to find a cheap submarine. But since he cheap submarines, it was just it was a it was a bathtub. <laughs> Salesman's like, yeah, it's a submarine. What are you on? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're on the six mo- inch or the twelve inch. Strap a motor on the bottom. <laughs> Define submarine, mate. <laughs> yeah, do you want the six inch or the twelve inch? Honey oat, Italian herb and cheese. Put some lettuce on it. There's your submarine. Yeah, very good. Um, but, like, so oh, that, that's actually my sandwich. Sorry, I just uh, that's that's my. It's the Hurley special. So anyway, he was he actually finds the perfect submarine, or so he thought. Uh, a 1918 submarine from the U.S. Navy, which was scheduled to be decommissioned. However, he was not a U.S. citizen, so he was unable to purchase the perfect ship. He does some talking and reading of laws and things like that, and through some loophole, he finds out he's permitted to lease the disarmed vessel for a period of five years at a cost of $1 a year. So like... What? So like, no, no, you can't buy this submarine for an exorbitant... But you can borrow it for a dollar a year. Because it's going to get decommissioned anyway. Yeah, that's right. So he's, he's I like, if you could still do that now. Oh, it it's like awesome. it's like oh, oh, you're gonna you're gonna bin this um <laughs> this F eight this F eighteen you know fighter jet. Um, I'll borrow it for three it years yeah. at a dollar a year. Um, and then you can just you can, you you're gonna trash it anyway. So you're might like, as well I might as well get some use out of it. I'll put it in the fuel. What does it take? Unleaded or do you have to buy the V power? Yeah, stuff uh, yeah. I assume it's the ninety eight stuff. It's probably the ninety eight stuff for the F eighteen. Yeah, that's, that's where the eight right. comes from. Yeah, yeah. But that, yeah, but that's you know why not give it a go. Hubert was extremely excited about the submarine and this expedition. 
but the expedition suffered losses before they had even left New York Harbour when the quartermaster was knocked overboard and drowned in the harbour. Hang on, how do you get knocked overboard? <laughs> I don't know. Of a submarine. Well, it floats above water first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that is not a good sign for he's an like, expedition. He's like, the reason why I joined the submarine corps is because I can't swim. <laughs> I didn't think it would be a problem. My one chance to be underwater. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't think it would be a problem because there's no way to fall in the water. Regardless, they pushed on. Wilkins and his men left the relative safety of coastal waterways into the uncertainty of the North Atlantic on June 4, 1931. Surprisingly, soon after the commencement of the expedition, the starboard engine broke down. Uh, Unsurprisingly, (laughs) because it was due to be decommissioned anyway. Do you want to guess what happened next? The uh, the port engine breakdown. That's down. exactly what happened. Yeah. The port engine followed suit. So on 14th of June, 1931... Also, when the starboard engine broke, and they, I just love the fact that they were still using the port engine because they would have just been going in a circle. <laughs> just, it would have just been turning around on the spot. Well, we're in the North Pole, so we're just circling. Yeah, we're right? just... Yeah. Yeah. But so they've got no means of power. Um, Wilkins was forced to send out an SOS and was rescued later that day by USS Wyoming. The ship, uh, it's, it's like the it's the ship from uh, from like twenty years previously. It's finally like broken free of the ice, and it's like they they open that they open. The, it's like the ants are just like George. Is that you? Yeah, they open you the hatch and dead? they're just like, well, well, well. Look, <laughs> guns crawling back like the ant they are. <laughs> So the submarine was towed to Ireland and then was later taken to England for repairs. So it was back up and running on the 28th of June. Um, so it went up to Norway to pick up the rest of the crew. Norway. No way. I don't believe you. Uh, they left Norway on the 23rd of August uh, and were only 600 miles from the North Pole. It was at this time that Wilkins uncovered another setback. The submarine was missing its diving planes. Without diving planes, he would not be able to actually control the submarine while it was submerged. How were they driving it around? I don't know. Without submerging it. Yeah, it was like, it drives perfectly above the water. Yeah. But as soon as we get down, we have no control over what's going on. up to this point, they hadn't actually dived. He hadn't checked anything. They'd be like, yeah, here's a submarine for a dollar. And he's like, all right, I'm not going to ask any questions. But he hadn't dived the submarine. No, they hadn't dived. He'd just 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 floating it around like a boat. Yeah, they're like, well, we've got to get it from New York up to the North Pole. Right. So we've just got to get it up there, then we'll go down. But he didn't think to like check all of its functionality yeah. before taking it up to the. Why would you? It's a dollar. You don't ask questions. Well, this is what happens when this is what this is <laughs> the inevitable result of a homeschooling. <sighs> She's a fucking idiot. Should have paid the extra twenty four dollars for insurance. <laughs> yeah. So, um, surprisingly, the expedition suffered one setback after another, but they continued on bravely. However, even Wilkins had to acknowledge that. His adventure into the Arctic was becoming a bit too foolhardy. Perfect example of uh, you get what you pay for in this life. You do, you do. He didn't learn from the first guy cheaping out. No, that's if, right. if you're going to learn, that would have been the situation. So, you know, he was a smart kid when he was nine, but um, no, yeah, not, not so much anymore. He, he doesn't. He seems like a, a, a like a typical homeschooled kid. Wilkins received a wireless plea from one of his uh, financiers, uh, which said. I most. Ur- I really need. The, <laughs> I, I really need. I really need some Wi-Fi, mate. You still got those? Uh, that dollar I lent you for the submarine. <laughs> Gonna need that back. Gonna need that back. I most urgently beg of you to return promptly to safety and to defer any further adventure at a more favourable time. Okay. And with a much better boat. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I beg you to uh, to please help me um, because I've done it again. Oh my god, I've shot myself in the foot and need to start from scratch again. Look, I've put countless 
amounts of cents into this expedition. Yeah. <laughs> I just put hundreds and hundreds of cents on this. Yeah. This is this has cost me at least as much as um, an actual subway sandwich. Yeah, yeah, an actual sandwich and a uh, and and a newspaper. So Wilkins ended the first expedition to the poles in a submarine and headed for England, but was forced to take refuge in the port of Berge in Norway because of a fierce storm. Uh, the submarine suffered severe damage because of the storm. And any further use of the vessel was just not going to happen. So now it's like it's actually just been decommissioned. Yeah. They're like, they're like, you can borrow it for a dollar a year for five years. Oh, but um, in the small print, we didn't mention if you do break it, you've got to pay for the full value of it. <laughs> you buy it. So anyway, Wilkins received permission from the United States Navy to sink the vessel offshore on the 20th of November. They were, pretty they were like, you still owe us the other $4. <laughs> no! <laughs> This is going to ruin me. Despite the failure to meet his intended objective, he was able to prove that submarines were capable of operating beneath the polar ice cap, thereby paving the way for future successful missions. So, um, where's the sub now? It's like, of, do, oh, they know, do they know where he... Uh, around Norway. It? Around Norway. Okay. In a Norwegian Ford. So that's pretty cool. I probably should have read more about that, but I didn't. That'd be amazing to go, like, go find it. Oh, that would be the best. And all the loose change on it. Yeah. <laughs> Give me that. Just ants is going in there. It's just like the most amazing elaborate ant colony ever. Whoa. Wilkins died in Framingham, Massachusetts on 30th of November, 1958. The US Navy later took his ashes to the North Pole aboard the submarine USS Skate on, in 1959. The Navy confirmed on 27th of March that in solemn memorial ceremony was conducted uh, shortly after the surfacing the ashes of Sir Hubert Wilkins were scattered at the North Pole in accordance with his last wishes. Which was his He's ashes. Like, Please, I just want to make it up there. His ashes were like, um, the reason why he was cremated because they wanted to get the ashes into a really small coffin and then the coffin was just carried by ants <laughs> just along, <laughs> along the surface of the ice. Uh, the Wilkins Sound, Wilkins Coast and Wilkins Ice shelf in antarctica are all named after him and they've all been, they've all melted since <laughs> as uh as are the airport at jamestown south australia mm-hmm. and a road at adelaide airport there is also a species of australian skink larista wilkinsey named after him oh that's really nice that's really nice after all this work he did for sa and expeditions and war yeah we named a skink after him yeah, and um, it's fitting the insect you know, uh, yeah, tie that we got there. I would have, I, I would have thought the uh, species of anteater would have been a better choice, um, <laughs> but um, you know he did what he did. That's all right. He look, he actually did a whole lot. Like I said at the start, he did a lot of really good, amazing things. Um, he was an amazing man. He like discovered islands. He pioneered what's called the Goiter Line, which is like where, like where you can farm. In, in South Australia and other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, look, a truly amazing South Australian. I picked, obviously, two of the most controversial stories yeah, about yeah, him yeah. that yeah. just didn't work out. But look, we all make mistakes. Even Wilkins made mistakes. <laughs> and I think that's the moral we can take away from this. And the, uh, and the other moral we can take away from this is, um, you know, if you're going to undertake a uh, major adventure, don't, don't skimp. <laughs> don't, don't, skimp. don't skimp on your equipment. Don't cheap out. Yeah. And Tom, that is the story of... Sir Hubert Wilkins. Awesome. awesome. Beer of the episode was the uh, F Year from F- the yeah. Big Shed Brewing Company. I'm going to be smelling it for weeks on my couch. Thanks, yep. guys. American Pale Ale. So, and uh, have a laugh. Have a lol. It's had a lol. Heaps good history.
That's us. We hope you all had a lol, a dad a lol. He's like, I got a lot of experience with absolute <laughs> clusterfucks, so um, I think I think I can make I, I think I can make a pretty good career out of uh, being a, a war photographer. 